The April 20th Mindful Parenting Retreat Day is filling up fast. Join me and other parents in Wilmington, Delaware for a day of rest and relaxation, mindfulness and mindful communication practices, and a live podcast too. And my special guest for the live podcast is, drumroll please, Lynetta Willis. You know her from episode 366 and 400. She is a psychologist and sought-after speaker who teaches her Triggered to Transformed program to struggling parents. Join us and bring a friend to this powerful day-long retreat in Wilmington, Delaware on April 20th, 2024. But hurry, space is limited. Go to mindfulmamamentor.com slash retreat to get your spot now. That's mindfulmamamentor.com slash retreat. That so much of what we're asking of ourselves is just simply impossible. I cannot please everybody all of the time. Um, and, and, and when I try to, there's a big cost for myself. You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode 206. Today, we're talking about how to combat perfectionism with Sharon Martin. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clark-Fields, Mindful Mama Mentor. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of the Mindful Parenting Membership, and I'm the author of Raising Good Humans, a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind, confident kids. Thank you so much for being here today. I'm so glad to connect with you again. This is going to be a very powerful, very informative conversation. I'm so excited for you to meet Sharon Martin. She is a licensed uh, psychotherapist specializing in helping perfectionists and people pleasers embrace their imperfections and overcome self-doubt and shame. And she writes the popular blog, Happily Imperfect for psychcentral.com. And she's the author of the CBT workbook for perfectionism. So if you have been struggling with perfectionism, you know, that habit that can leave us feeling inadequate, never able to relax, overscheduled, and generally not good enough ever. You will really appreciate this, I hope. It can be so deeply ingrained, and Sharon's going to talk to us about how to combat it. Um, and I want you to listen for some important takeaways, how there's a difference between perfectionism and pursuit of excellence how different certain parenting styles actually can lead to perfectionism and how to stop people pleasing and be assertive instead. So I know you are going to get so much out of this episode. I cannot wait. Before we dive in, I want to let you know that I have a few in-person events coming up. I would love to see you in person, give you a big hug. You can join me at um, the Morning for Moms in New Jersey on February 22nd, find more information about that at mindfulmamamentor.com slash resources. And my spring retreat is coming up. I don't have the details for that, but you can also find that at mindfulmamamentor.com slash resources. And of course, the best way to stay informed about all of this is to be on my mailing list, which you can join at mindfulmamamentor.com. And then you'll hear about every one of these episodes. And I just want to let you know there have been some amazing responses to a couple things we've been playing with in the membership. Um, we, I, I gave the members a present of 101 skillful responses to your kids. And Natalie said, thank you so much, Hunter. I love this list. I've downloaded it to my phone and will print it out and highlight the ones that I know I need reminders for and put it up in the kitchen. And the members have also been really, um, the lifetime members are enjoying not just the mindful parenting course in the membership, but also the daily practice, which is my 28-day immersion into yoga and mindfulness for self-care. Um, and uh, Rochelle was telling me, um, it feels so good to get my body moving a little in a little more vigorous practice. She did the um, moderate practice. And she said she already feels her, her thighs getting stronger. And I feel more alive throughout the day. Thank you, Hunter. So cool. So that um, daily practice is all. And um, 
the 101 skillful responses are all in the membership. So I hope you'll check it out and join. Um, I open it up a few times a year. You can always get on the mailing list at mindfulparentingcourse.com. So some live events, update on the membership. And now on to this episode with Sharon Martin. Sharon, thanks so much for coming on the Mindful Mama podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. I am excited to talk to you about perfectionism because I know a lot of people are struggling with perfectionism. In fact, we've had uh, Reshma Sajani on the podcast who recently wrote the book Brave Not Perfect, talking about how women, of course, are and girls are, 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 are um, socialized for perfectionism and all that stuff. And so I'm... I'm curious with you because before we kind of dive into perfectionism itself, like that we often are are studying what we ourselves are struggling with. So I'm wondering if that has been something that you have been struggling with in your own life. Yeah, isn't that the truth? I mean, <laughs> I think we're definitely <laughs> drawn to the things that matter to ourselves as well. So, yeah, I mean, I definitely have had that struggle over the years, and that's part of what. Um, you know, sort of led me to writing writing a book and doing some clinical work as a, as a therapist around this issue is both realizing that the perfectionism for me was not helpful. You know, it seemed like in the beginning, oh, what a, you know, a great thing, a great quality, you know, to be really detail-oriented and want to get a lot done and have high standards. Um, but, you know, as I got older, I, I started to, you know, realize more and more the ways that it was holding me back and the problems that it was causing for me. And it really wasn't helping me at all. Um, and then, you know, I started to notice this in other people as well and more and more clients and um, young people that I was seeing that the perfectionism is just so pervasive. I, I think we have, you know, really gotten to the point where, um, you know, we're starting to recognize that perfectionism is a problem for so many people and 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 people are looking for some some help which is a good thing at this point that you know I think we're sort of past for the most part the idea that oh this is a, a good thing you know it used to be you know that was sort of the right answer to give you know for one of your flaws you know when somebody would ask you on a job <laughs> interview right oh I'm a perfectionist and I think now we realize well that's not really such a good thing anymore um so, so yes, I mean, and as I have figured out ways to deal with it for myself and, um, like I said, for, for clients, it, it has sort of been a natural progression of figuring out, here's some things that can be helpful around perfectionism. Here's some ways that we can sort of dial that back and, you know, bring some more balance um, and some more compassion into our lives and, and really be able to do more of the things that we want to do and have more of a fulfilling life. Um, so that, that's, you know, a little bit of sort of how, a, how it came full circle for me. Yeah, yeah. It will for for the the listener who's you know, I think a lot of us are, you know, we're still kind of we we're immersed in our culture of achievement and all of those things. So I think it might be helpful for us to think about, you know, why let's just lay it out there. Why why is it so harmful? What what is wrong with perfectionism? Well, I think we have to make the distinction between perfectionism and high standards or striving for excellence. And I think that's probably the most common, you know, misconception about this is that there's nothing wrong with having high standards. There's nothing wrong with wanting to work hard and get a lot done. The problem is when you have such high standards that they are completely unrealistic and there is no way for you to actually meet them. Um, And when you do accomplish something, you know, you achieve something, you've done something that you feel that one would think you would feel proud of, perfectionists really don't feel good about it. It's sort of like it's never enough. There's always something more because we're just chasing some kind of external validation to make us feel like we're good enough. And that's sort of that root of it is there's really like this really um, core piece of Yes, you could might call it sort of low self-esteem or or sort of some sense of not being as good as everybody else. And so you're always in that mindset of got to prove myself. And that proving um, comes out in this perfectionistic behavior. So I, you know, it ultimately seems like I, I can't 
actually be as good as everybody else. I, I need to be better. I have to be the best. I have to be perfect. And then, like I said, that that's just, you know, I guess you could, might call it sort of low self-esteem or, or sort of some sense of not being as good as everybody else. And so you're always in that mindset of got to prove myself. And that proving um, comes out in this perfectionistic behavior. So I, you know, it ultimately seems like I, I can't, actually be as good as everybody else. I, I need to be better. I have to be the best. I have to be perfect. And then, like I said, that that's just, you know, a setup for, you know, feeling lousy about yourself because you're never going to achieve that, that goal of perfection. So we're trying to, you know, prove that we're worthy, but we can never do it because we've We've sort of set it up in a way that it's impossible. So we continue to feel inadequate and, you know, lousy and, you know, bad about ourselves in various ways because we can't meet these ridiculously high expectations that we've set for ourselves. And I imagine that part of the perfectionist problem is um, a never being a, a constant doing, right? Like a constant going, like always going, always doing, always doing the next thing, never, never being present, right? Because we're always, the, the you know, just always on to what is the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. Yeah, exactly. Right. The the proving that we're good enough has to be through doing more, achieving more. So you're right. There's there's sort of a constant busyness. There's often an over scheduling. Um, um, I would say probably overworking. And so it becomes really difficult to just be in the moment and I think enjoy what we're doing for the sake of of doing, just being. Um, and there's a lot of difficulty relaxing, um, doing things that are just um, for leisure, for pleasure, um, maybe even just for yourself, because it, it sort of feels like, well, what's the point? Because that's not, that's not goal-directed behavior. Um, and so much of that perfectionist thinking is about, I have to do more and be more and you know, so on and so forth. Yeah. And you also mentioned uh, while we're on like some of the problems with perfectionism, you also mentioned like in your book, the, how the critical mind, you know, what the way I see is that you're in this habit of criticism all the time. And so you're, if there's a lot of self-criticism, there's a lot of external judgment and criticism of others too. Mm -hmm. So that can affect relationships, I imagine. Yes, yes, absolutely. Right. For, you know, and this is very somewhat from person to person, but it's, it's not uncommon that that people who have these really exceptionally high standards for themselves then also set unrealistically high expectations for other people. And so that, that does translate often into, um, you know, unfortunately behaviors like nagging and criticizing and putting people down and also just a, a never being satisfied or content with what other people are doing, right? Whether that's your spouse or your child or your coworker and an employee. So you're always in this sort of state of frustration and um, being, you know, feeling disappointed and let down that somebody's not doing something either the way you want it to be done, as fast as you want it to be done, the standard that you want it to be done. So there, there's always this dissatisfaction and, and like you said, that, that of course impacts relationships. I mean, how can we be having a, you know, a positive interaction with somebody when we're always feeling like you're doing something wrong? It's not good enough. Yeah. Yeah. I think that we, sometimes we can feel that with, <laughs> I mean, I think a lot of us can sometimes feel that way with our children, right? Like we're all, we notice how we're in a very critical jag um, and that the never feels good. It never, never feels good to, to be doing that. Okay. So We've got feeling lousy, feeling inadequate, doing too much, never relaxing, maybe having difficult relationships, all this stuff. So where does this, where, why is this so pervasive? Where does it start? Where, where does it come from? <laughs> well, I think, I think there's a lot of various different factors that probably all come together for people in, in different formations, but, but some of it absolutely is the culture that we live in. And much as, you know, I was saying, you know, I think we realize that perfectionism isn't such a great thing anymore. That doesn't mean that our culture and the media and all the images that we're seeing every day are are changing around this. There's still 
you know, as much as there ever was in terms of the airbrushed, you know, models showing you what your perfect body is supposed to look like, um, or your, you know, immaculately decorated house is supposed to look like. And, and I think as you were saying at the very beginning, there's also some some gender specific messages that we get as well. And and again, it's not to say that men don't suffer from perfectionism. They absolutely do. Um, but I think women still get um, a much, you know, stronger message in terms of their physical appearance, um, body, their age, you know, things like that about um, what constitute you know, the perfect woman. And then motherhood is, is another whole realm that I think, I think it's a really different experience um, than, than father's experience in terms of the pressure um, to perform and sort of be, you know, the perfect mother. Um, be able to do everything, whether it's work and home life and balance that and, you know, make it look easy. Um, But I don't, you know, I don't think there's the same expectations um, for dads. And there's, you know, things are are certainly shifting. But I think as moms, we're, we're generally really hard on ourselves in terms of the expectations that we set. And we're often not very kind to each other. Um, in terms of the expectations that we have and the judgments that we have for other mothers and, you know, what we see them doing. Um, so so there's, there's that. And then, you know, there's a whole nother component, which is certainly um, our, just our innate personality differences that I think some people are probably just born more predisposed towards the perfectionism than other people. And then, of course, we have our experiences, you know, especially our childhood experiences, which have um, a huge um, impact in the way our personalities develop, the way our thinking patterns develop, the way, you know, our relationships and our behaviors develop. So so there are certainly, um, you know, certain ways that some people are parented that can lead towards perfectionism. And there's, there's something um, very, you know, direct, I would say, about just modeling. So if you had a parent who was a perfectionist and you, and you saw that, you know, if you saw your mother um, being really concerned about her appearance or you saw um, her being very um, self-critical or, you know, needing to redo things and wanting to, for them to be perfect, you know, so there's just sort of straightforward modeling, I would say. Um, and, there, and there's other um, parenting styles. One is one, when you've got a parent who is, you know, very harsh and critical, and you get that message pretty clearly that your parent feels like there's, there's nothing, you know, that you're never doing anything that's good enough. So they've got these unrealistically high expectations for you. Um, and they're not really concerned about what you're interested in or what you want to do. It's more about pleasing your parents. Um, and meeting their expectations and and sort of the idea that if if you can't do that it's it's very sort of a shameful experience um for some par- parents as if their own self-esteem is based on what their kids are doing well you know it's interesting i mean you know your culture the pressure and all those things I, you know I, I guess are there other causes of perfectionism tell, tell me the rest sharon and then i've got a okay, question sure. for you <laughs> well, uh, yeah there's just there's a cup there's a couple of other parenting um, sort of styles that can lead mm-hmm. to perfectionism. And one is what, what I call um, just a, a chaotic family situation, which is, which is a situation where you've got parents who are really just overwhelmed by life and life's problems. Um, and, and what happens for kids in this situation, not all kids again, but, but some kids, is that they're looking for some sense of control in their life. They want to, they've got this, this home situation that feels out of control. And so by being perfectionistic, what they're trying to do is bring some sense of order and control to their life. So they become overly controlled and, you know, and they feel like if I can be um, a good kid, if I can, you know, get the straight A's and make the varsity teams, then both, you know, then I won't be causing problems for my parents because I see that my parents already are overwhelmed and have so many problems. Um, and I also feel like, oh gosh, you know, here's something in life that I, I can, you know, control for myself. Um, and, and then related to that, but, but actually um, different is, is also there are parents who are just, they're just distracted. 
Um, so it's not that they're overwhelmed, but they just have a lot going on. You know, maybe they, you know, work a lot of hours. Um, or, you know, sometimes we've just got parents who are distracted and on their phone all the time, and they're just not present with their kids. And so perfectionism can be a way for kids to get attention as well. Um, again, it's, it's, there's sort of an underlying belief that, that kids, you know, have like, okay, there's something that's not good enough about me that, you know, my parents aren't paying attention to me, to my feelings, they're disinterested. So maybe if I can do something, you know, really outstanding, accomplish something amazing, finally, my parents will pay attention to me. And um, I need to, again, there's sort of that sense, like I need to prove something, I need to earn the love and the attention. Um, mm. So, so that's sort of, you know, in a nutshell, um, some of the ways that different parenting approaches can can lead to it. You know, some healthy skepticism in my life has served me well. And if you're like that, if you can spot a too good to be true health hack from about a mile away, you read labels like it's your job. Congratulations, you're a skeptic. And Ritual knows that every good skeptic deserves a multivitamin that exceeds your standards. I take Ritual's Essentials for Women 18 Plus every single day, morning and at lunch. And I am feeling great. I love this vitamin. Ritual's Essentials for Women is USP verified, so you know you can trust what you're putting in your body. Only about 1% of supplement brands on the market have the USP verified mark, which shows the product contains the ingredients actually listed on the label. Plus, Ritual Vitamins are vegan, non-GMO, project verified, gluten and major allergen free, certified B Corp, and made traceable. They select lower carbon packaging, they prioritize sustainably sourced ingredients, and set ambitious climate goals. Plus, Ritual is a female-founded B Corp, which means they are responsible to the health of people and our planet. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com mindful. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash mindful for 25% off. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Wow. Wow. It's amazing. Um, so if you don't mind uh, me asking for you, what, what did you identify for yourself as some of the things that were leading to your, your own perfectionism when you were struggling with that? Yeah, that's a good question. And, and there's one other, you know, piece that, you know, as I had said, I think some people are just sort of naturally, um, you know, probably predisposed predisposed to some perfectionism. And so one of the things that I have figured out is that I also think there, that part of that might be a connection between people who are, are highly sensitive. And I don't know if, you know, if, if folks are really familiar with that, but um, you we've had a podcast about that uh, with okay. Julie B. Ellinge, a highly sensitive. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. Fantastic. Um, yeah. So people can go back and, and, and look at that. And um, there's just, there's, you know, a certain amount of the population who are just born as highly sensitive people. That's just the way that their nervous system is wired. Um, and so for me, I think that was really a part of it is that I think I've always just been more sensitive to things like criticism, 
um, and wanting to please people and, you know, sensitive around the ideas of if I'm doing something that's upsetting somebody, things, things like that. So anyway, I think, I think there's, a, there's a component of that as well um, that really showed up for me is that in being, you know, perfectionism is I wanted to be doing everything so well that people would never be disappointed. They'd never be disapproving. There wouldn't be criticism, which again, I mean, it's completely unrealistic. You know, we all know that nobody can, can do everything perfectly. And, and even if you did everything, you know, quote unquote, perfectly, there are still people who would be upset and disappointed and displeased with it, right? Yeah. I'm um, not sure I'd want to hang out with you if you were, if there was yeah. that perfect person, right? You'd be like, oh, I'm so inadequate in comparison. <laughs> right. Well, yes. And that, that's, you know, another aspect of where perfectionism isn't really helpful in forming relationships and making actual, you know, human connections with people. Um, but anyway, I mean, so, so that's an aspect of it as well, I think you know, as perfectionists, we're wanting to avoid, you know, the criticisms and, and having people upset with us, which is understandable, but it's not something that we can actually accomplish. The real world involves, you know, disappointing people and having people criticize you. And, and we can all learn how to tolerate those things. It just, you know, it, it takes some practice in being able to shift our thinking. And in some ways also just building up some tolerance to it because I think as a perfectionist, like as long as I was trying to avoid the criticism, then I wasn't doing, you know, I wasn't doing things that taking chances or trying new things because there was that fear of the failure or the humiliation or the criticism. And, And again, I mean, it just makes sense that as much as you, the more you try to avoid those situations, then the more painful they become when they do happen, right? As we can, we can get ourselves, you know, used to tolerating those things by actually letting ourselves be in situations where we experience some painful things. And we realize, hey, I can tolerate it. It's probably not as bad as I thought it was going to be. You know, I didn't get fired. The world didn't end. You know, my relationship didn't get destroyed you know, I can figure out how to manage those things. And then, then that sort of frees you up to be able to do all kinds of different things and take, you know, more risks and chances and explore different aspects of yourself, which you hopefully find is satisfying in different ways. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you write in your book that, um, you know, that it, there's, it takes courage, right? There's a certain amount of courage it takes to be imperfect because we have to be able to then feel those difficult feelings of something going wrong. And what does that feel like? Or something, um, you know, something is a a criticism and, and what does that feel like? And, and how do, you know, it's like riding, learning how to ride those waves, which of course, goes right back to mindfulness, but you also, um, you, you know, you also talk about, um, perfectionism that we, we tend to, you know, people who are struggling with perfectionism tend to be, tend to miss out because of this fear, right? Because wanting to, wanting to play it safe. So, you know, maybe not taking some, any risks in life. Yeah, exactly. Part of that perfectionism that we experience is wanting to to be so good at everything. Like I said, that part of that's wanting to avoid the criticism or the sense of failure because that's so yeah. painful. It's such so to the core of, you know, we're already feeling inadequate. I don't want to do something that I don't know that I'm good at because I might not be good at it, right? And, that, and that's such a difficult feeling for someone who's a perfectionist or, or just anyone who's feeling kind of inadequate or less than. So then we just, you know, limit ourselves to, to the things that we know that we're already good at, right? <laughs> Which is, I mean, it, right? I mean, there's no growth in that, right? I'm just going to keep doing things that I know that I can do because I'm afraid of, of possibly not being good at something. Which again, I mean, like our logical mind can say, of course, that makes no sense. I mean, we all, we're going to start out not being good at things. It's through practice generally that we get better at things. Um, and, and so that's, that's a way of sort of having a more realistic expectation for yourself and saying, okay, like I don't have to be good. Or maybe I can set, set this up in a way where 
um, I have the ability to, you know, do some practice in a way that's going to be not as embarrassing. Um, that doesn't mean I have to practice, practice, practice before I can show, you know, do mm. this in public or something like that. Um, but there's also just a reasonable amount. Nobody wants to, you know, be embarrassed. Um, yeah. But part of that feeling, you know, the, the feeling of being embarrassed is based on the expectation. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. That, that it's not okay to, to mess up and all those things. Okay. So, mm-hmm. so how, how for, for the listener who's like nodding and saying, oh my God, it's me. How do, how do they start to uh, dig themselves out? And I imagine that, you know, part, you know, you talk about in the book about um, one, you know, you kind of walk, walk us through in this workbook about uh, this process, which is really beautiful, but it it basically starts with this acknowledgement of like, this isn't so great in my life. Right. And then uh, looking at, looking at where it is. So basically kind of taking a deep look at it. I'll let you describe how do, how do they start to, to dig themselves out? Yeah. Um, like you're saying, I mean, I think the beginning of any process of change is that we have to acknowledge you know, what problems we're experiencing. Because if, we, if we're not, you know, experiencing any problems, why are we going to change, right? There has to be some motivation here for me to say, okay, here, here's where perfectionism is causing problems for me. Um, that's the reason I want to make some changes. And one of the things that I always like to point out when we talk about changing some of our perfectionist behaviors and, and thinking is that you don't have to change everything. You don't have to throw it all away. Because I think there's often there's often a fear there as well that what's going to happen, you know, maybe I, I will never get anything done. I'm going to become lazy. I'm, you know, I'm not going to be able to do a good job um, at work, um, become careless, you know, whatever. I mean, all, all those kinds of things that are really sort of the flip side, you know, and of course it, it's just, it's just very unlikely that anybody is going to completely do a 180 change. I mean, really what we're talking about is being able to moderate some of these things because in in moderation, some of them can be useful. You know, like I said, if we can get beyond some of the obsessive quality and the fear-based anxiety-driven component of it, sure, there, you know, we can sort of dial that back to a place of, okay, I could have realistic expectations, but they could be high expectations. You know, I can work hard on things, but I can also find um, a place for, you know, rest and relaxation um, and realize that those things can actually help me be more productive and, you know, do a better job when I am in sort of working mode. Um, so so that's, that's helpful for a lot of people too, is just to realize that, you know, there may be some aspects of perfectionism that do feel helpful and that you do want to hold on to, and that's fine. We don't have to, you know, throw out the entire thing all at once, right? We're just, you know, and the other thing that I, I really believe in is that the way to make changes is really baby steps. Like we're, we're not going to, you know, again, throw everything out all at once and just say, change everything about yourself. You're just going to do a few incremental changes and those can build, build on each other. And they really do add up over time. And it ends up being much more sustainable for people as well. Yeah. And, and the, I love, I love that. I, I can imagine the listener, you know, just heaving a huge sigh of relief. I don't have to change everything. And, you know, we don't have to throw away all these behaviors and, and absolutely those bit by bit changes, of course, are the most lasting. And you talk, of course, about, um, about working with that self-critical mind. And it's really interesting because, uh, you know, we've had, we've talked about self-compassion in a lot of different ways here. And, um, and, you know, Sharon Salzberg is called, uh, loving kindness as it was originally developed as an antidote to fear. Right. And this fear is what is driving this perfectionism. So, uh, first, Maybe it might be helpful, though, to think about, you know, you, you ask a really important question in this book, and I think that we've, we've talked about this a, a lot on the podcast about, um, about criticism, um, but you, t- you ask the question, is, isn't self-criticism motivating? And we've, we've talked about this a lot on the podcast. We've had Kristen Neff on, but just to, just if it's your first-time listener, let's hear it again because it's something that I think we can't underline more too many times. 
Yes, yes. I'm so glad you brought that up because I, I think for a lot of people, it's it's really, it's counterintuitive to what we have been taught all along is that, you know, we need to be hard on ourselves. You know, we need to be cracking the whip and that's the only way that we're going to get anything done, right? So I feel like that's, you know, sort of the mindset that I grew up with is, you know, you have to beat yourself up if, you know, you've done something wrong. Otherwise, you're not going to correct it. You're just going to, you know, continue um, to make the same mistake. But fascinating. I mean, and the research is amazing on this. You know, that does not help. And and again, I think this is a great place to think about um, your experience as a parent and how you handle these kinds of situations, you know, with our kids, because it's just, it's easier to see when you think about that dynamic as a, as a parent, when you can offer your child compassion, when they have, you know, made a mistake, um, or when they, you know, haven't, come through on a commitment, there's something there, you know, chances are that they are already feeling bad about it themselves. And you're Mm -hmm. going to be able to cultivate both, you know, a much healthier relationship, but you're also going to be able to help motivate them, encourage them in the direction, you know, that you want them to by offering them that understanding and that loving acceptance um, that that becomes the basis for the desire to do better, if you will. And so the same thing ends up being true for ourselves is when we just beat ourselves up over things, we end up just feeling worse. We just feel, you know, we sort of go into that place of shame and more self-criticism, right? I'm never, you know, I'm never going to be able to do this. And it becomes this catastrophic kind of thinking, like I'm just the worst person ever. You know, I'm a complete failure. and and then, you know, I beat myself up. I don't feel more motivated. I don't feel any more energy. I don't feel hopeful. I don't feel like I can do something better or different here. But when I turn that around and I'm understanding and I say, you know, I can understand that this is hard. Then I start to be able to shift some of that and be able to say, okay, you know, and I think one of, one of the, the, the difficulties that people have with self-compassion is they feel like it's just sort of mushy, like I'm just letting myself off the hook and there's no accountability. So when I, when I think when we add in the accountability piece and we, you know, maybe sort of call it compassionate accountability or loving accountability, it starts to make more sense because, you know, we can do it in this kind, loving way, but it doesn't mean that I'm just saying, oh, it's okay. You know, you know, you made a mistake or um, you hurt somebody's feelings. I'm not saying that's Okay. I'm just saying I can understand it. And by being kind to myself, I can help myself better to figure out how to make a correction or how to, how to learn from that experience rather than, you know, like I said, sort of going into that place of just shame and I'm awful and I'm horrible. There's sort of no hope for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, thank you so much, Sharon, for underscoring that because it's, I think it's just so pervasive in our culture that we are so judging and you offer you offer a beautiful um, affirmation for forgiving ourselves, uh, a forgiveness affirmation, um, which I love. You know, you have like a, a formula for it. Um, do, do you mind if I read it? I think it's great. Yeah. Um, you know, so you, there's two blanks in here that I'll just read. I forgive myself for blank. And then I release myself from blank. And that means like whatever the feelings are associated with it, like maybe guilt or shame or whatever. I accept that I'm human and I make mistakes. Now I would do things differently, but I did the best I could at the time. And I forgive myself for my mistakes. I love that so much. That's really a beautiful little mantra there. Yeah, I think I think so many of us do that judgment from from hindsight, right? And that's, it's just, it's unfair. <laughs> it really is to, you know, to know what you know now or to, to see how the outcome of something and to look back and be judgmental of yourself. It's really true that we, we do the best that we can with the information that we have, with the person that we are, with the circumstances. And that doesn't mean, again, that we might not have some regrets or that we would choose to do things differently if, you know, the situation presented itself today. But at that point, that was the best that you could do. It seemed like the best option. And that's all we can ask of ourselves, really. Yeah. Um, yeah, I really appreciate that. Because I think I see forgiveness as really about, in some ways, like 
clarifying things and letting go and like letting, letting the past go in some ways and, and moving on from a better place. And I, even as I read that, you know, like I feel that heart opening quality of it, you know, it, it really is opens us up for more compassion and, you know, really, truly, like, as you talked about in the opposite way, as we're more critical in our own minds, we're more critical with our, our relationships as we're more compassionate in our own minds and love it, you know, then we're more compassionate in our relationship. It, it's, it's really beautiful. Yeah. Both, right, our relationship with ourselves and our relationship with others. And I, and I think that's ultimately what it is really all about is accepting really our humanness on some basic level is that we all make mistakes and we all screw up sometimes. I mean, sometimes, you know, they're really inconsequential and, and sometimes they're a big deal, right? I mean, that we truly do things that cause pain to other people or that create, you know, really difficult situations or problems um, for ourselves or for other people. But again, I mean, one thing is like, you know, we've all, we've all had some experience like that, right? I mean, mm-hmm. none of us um, can say that we haven't. and so. It's unfair again, you know, to hold ourselves to some standard that's different than everybody else, right? Like if we can just say, this is part of the human experience is that, you know, we, we screw up sometimes, right? And, and part of that is understanding that we all do it. And that's that place where we can start to have some compassion and say, I'm not that different than anybody else. Um, and and that can probably help, that can help us have that compassion for other people, that we need, you know, like it, it, it's terrible to go around our days, like judging everybody and being so critical of everybody. I mean, that, that makes daily life really unpleasant and miserable for ourselves. Um, and you know, if you're in the habit of really listener of, 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 you know, if you notice like, oh, I'm judging a lot. Oh, I'm critical a lot. Not to be, I'm not saying this for you to be critical of yourself, but to (laughs) notice that that might be a habit. It's a very normal, like kind of human habit. We have a negativity bias, right? And notice, notice how that feels in yourself. Like, does it feel good? Does it add to your peace? Does it add to your happiness to be judgmental and critical of others in the world? And then, you know, starting to notice how it is for yourself. It really, it really letting, see, allowing for our own humanity allow gives us you know gives other people you know lets us allow for other people's humanity too and have some more compassion, have some more um, forgiveness in general. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky, wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking it. Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks. You've come to the right place. I'm Lynn Lyons, and I've been treating anxious families for over 30 years. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law and co-host Robin Hudson. Join us for Fluster Clucks, a podcast for parents who worry. Wait, that's everybody. Yeah, these last few years have felt like one long anxiety attack for so many. Why do you think parents are always surprised that a podcast about anxiety relates to them, even if no one in their house has an anxiety disorder? Well, worry is human. Everyone does it. And anxiety shows up when we face uncertainty. All the parenting tips you've taught me have been essential. I love to break it down into skills we need to manage worry in our families. We've covered so many topics, depression, burnout, meltdowns, perfectionism. Don't forget scary mothers-in-law. Right, but of course that's not my mother-in-law. Because that's my mother. And a listener. As a psychotherapist, I like to teach parents and kids how to respond to everyday moments in healthy ways. Managing anxiety really can be taught. It really can. And I'll even tell you what to say. We talk about serious stuff. 
but without being too serious. Anxiety wants everything serious. Anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing, even about the tough stuff. Yeah, exactly. I think when we start to move away from the judgment, then that is where we can really connect with people. Mm-hmm. There's such a tendency, and again, I I don't know, you know, how much of this is just innate, you know, in us, and how much of this we are we are taught, but it almost feels like maybe there's sort of a scarcity, you know, component to it, as if we have to keep judging and like rank ordering, you know, ourselves in comparison to to everybody else, as if there's not going to be enough. Like we can't just say we all have strengths, we all have weaknesses. Um, and we don't need to compare them necessarily. We don't need to prove all the time that, you know, we're as good as or better than, but we could just accept that we all have unique gifts. We all have value and it doesn't necessarily need to be specifically defined or measured. I think, it, mm-hmm. you know, I think there's so much of that. Like I need, again, sort of that proof. Um, maybe, maybe some of it comes from, you know, some of the early experiences in school or, you know, mm-hmm. things like that, where there's always got to be some um, way of saying, oh, this is how valuable or how good something is. Um, yeah. Yeah. That external validation. I, it's really interesting. You, you bring it back to that because that's something that I really search for in um, you know, my kids, uh, I was a founding board member of a public Montessori school here huh. in the state of Delaware. And that I love those learning modalities where they're kind of trying to keep that in, intrinsic motivation, that internal validation. And it's not so much about that external validation. And, and you can see how it plays out in, in things like this, how it comes all yeah. the way around kind of full circle. So you, you talk about, um, you talk about a couple of what I would love for you to, you know, th- think about those fears that are underneath the perfectionism. You know, you have some questions that I think are really astute to uncover, you know, what you call the cognitive distortions or mm. these basically like untrue thoughts that are th- these thoughts that are leading us astray. What are some of the, what are some of the questions someone can ask if they feel like they're kind of stuck in this perfectionist spiral and they want to kind of jolt themselves out of it. Yeah, yeah. I'm just, I'm just going to back up a, a smidge oh, yeah, yeah, here just do. to say, because okay. just in case some people aren't really familiar with, with this idea of cognitive distortions, which I, I always think it sounds really horrible <laughs> to think <laughs> like your thoughts are distorted. Um, so just sort of set that aside. Um, we all have cognitive distortions. We all, basically it just sort of means we all see the world through our own lens, right? Through our own experience, through our own beliefs about ourselves. Um, and it, it, it sort of colors our perception of things. We all, you know, we know that we don't all see the, sa- see the world in the same way or we can have the same experience and have different thoughts and feelings about it. Um, and so, you know, as we grow up, you know, we develop certain beliefs about ourselves and you know, and, and as we've been talking, you know, you might kind of notice some of the ones that are common for perfectionists that, that tend to be around things like, you know, I believe that I'm, you know, not as smart or as funny or um, as pretty or, you know, some, some sort of element of I don't think I'm as good as, you know, everybody else. And so if I, if I have that belief about myself, I tend to go about the world um, finding evidence unconsciously, you know, through that negativity bias, I'm just sort of going to find things that you sort of fit with that. Say, oh, there, there's proof that I really am not good at math, mm-hmm. right? Um, instead of being able to say, maybe I just, you know, I made a simple arithmetic error. So if my belief is I'm not good at math, I'm going to, you know, see that arithmetic error and say, there's, there's more proof that I suck at math, right? Instead of just saying, oh, you know, I was distracted and I, I made a mistake, right? Um, Doesn't necessarily have to mean I'm lousy at math, right? Um, But so once you realize that you're having that negative distorted thought that's not necessarily accurate, um, what you want to do is is sort of dig into that and, and like you said, sort of ask yourself some questions to find out, is this really true or not? Um, Because we don't, we can't really... We can't really change the thought until we realize that it's off, right? You might just sort of have have a sense like, okay, here here's something that I'm not sure if this is very true or not. Um, but what one thing you can ask yourself is just, I mean, is it a helpful thought? I mean, is it actually, you know, 
bringing you closer to what you want to achieve. Um, and so if I'm, I'm trying to feel better about myself and be less perfectionistic, um, having a thought that I'm, you know, lousy at math, is that helpful for me? Probably not, you know, so I can then sort of ask myself, well, maybe is there a different way that I could think about this? Um, you know, or you could just ask yourself, are there other sources of evidence, right? I, I shouldn't, you know, come to a conclusion that I suck at math based on one mistake, right? I, I, I need to explore this a bit further and say, you know, is there other evidence to support this? Um, maybe I could even ask, you know, some other people for their opinion and see if they have, you know, some thoughts too um, about it. Because sometimes other people see things a little bit differently. And so they might be helpful in being able to, you know, point me in a different direction with it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't yeah. have the list in front of me. So I'm, 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 I'm not. <laughs> no, those are great. Those are great. I mean, is that helpful? Do other people see this? Is there other, you know, other evidence? So those are ways to kind of just check, check that, that, you know, that habit energy that we maybe developed over time and, and to, to make it, um, to make it better. So yeah. One, yeah. one last thing I wanted to ask you about is this idea of, you know, we talked uh, you know, the, about how perfectionists are really wanting to, you know, wanting to make themselves feel good and wanting to make them wanting to, um, wanting to please other people. They're basically wanting to do everything well so that nobody's ever upset with them. And so this, um, that there's this underlying thing of people pleasing, right? And you, and so you talk about how learning to be assertive in a chapter in your book, which I think is great. So I wonder if maybe you could just talk a little bit about learning to be um, assertive if we're always people pleasing and find mm -hmm. ourselves in that place. Yeah, there's there's a few different things that I think intersect here. Um, you know, and like you said. Part of, part of the struggle here is that, you know, we want to keep everybody happy all of the time, um, but, but we just can't. So, I mean, I think part of it always comes back to trying to set realistic expectations and, and understand that so much of what we're asking of ourselves is just simply impossible. I cannot please everybody all of the time. Um, and, and, and when I try to, there's a big cost for myself. Right. And that, you know, over time, we usually start to feel the effects um, of putting everybody before ourselves. Right. We get really tired and drained and cranky. You know, maybe we have health problems or mental health problems. So so it definitely starts to show up. Um, so once we once we can sort of accept on a very simple basis, like this is a truth for all of us. It's not, there's not, again, there's sort of nothing deficient about you. It's just something that nobody can do. Um, and so the other part of it is, is if we're going to be more assertive, we're going to ask for more of what we want or, you know, speak up more for what we need um, in, in different situations and with different people. We have to first know what we want. We have to know what we need. We have to know what we feel. And, and this is a place where perfectionists, perfectionists often are very disconnected from themselves, right? Again, when, if so much of, of the focus is on other people and keeping other people happy and meeting their expectations, often we, we really don't even know, you know, how am I feeling about this situation? Um, what do I need? There, there's the connection between, you know, what you need is going to be connected back to how you feel about something. So often what we need to first do is really just slow down a little bit and start to check in with ourselves and ask ourselves, okay, how am I feeling? What is it that I need in this situation? Um, and that can take some practice. If you're not used to doing it and you're not, you know, somebody who tends to slow down and pay attention to their feelings, it, it can feel really awkward. Um, both, I think, just the slowing down, but sort of allowing some of the feelings and the needs to come up. Again, I think we have to keep coming back to you know, that those exp realistic expectations and, and normalizing that everybody has needs. There's not a single person who has zero needs. And that, again, that's such an, it's this unrealistic expectation that we have, like, oh, I shouldn't need anything. I shouldn't want anything. I shouldn't have to ask for anything. Um, 
humans just do not work that way. <laughs> we all, yeah. we yeah. all need things from ourselves, from other people, from, you know, the universe. And so, you know, the best way to get your needs met is to ask, right? I mean, that's not a guarantee, but if I, if I ask my, my spouse for, for what I need in the relationship, you know, it's going to be much easier for him to be able to give me that. Um, Versus if I don't ever ask, I don't even ever say, you know, I don't need anything, I don't want anything, then what tends to happen? Again, like the resentment starts to build. My needs are unmet. I'm unhappy. I'm, you know, I'm cranky. You know, I'm tired, right? That's not a good recipe, both for my own health and well-being, but it's not, it's not going to be successful for the relationship either. So again, I mean, we have to sort of get out of these, you know, um, distorted ways of thinking that somehow by being perfectionistic and people pleasing, I'm going to actually be making people happy. That's it actually, it's not going to work out because right. If I'm unhappy and I don't have my needs met, how, how is that actually going to, you know, be pleasing to my husband? Right. I mean, especially if we're talking about relationships of people who care about you, I mean, they want to meet your needs, right? They want to give you um, some of what you want and need in a relationship. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, that's the beginning of it is figuring out like, what is it that I need? And then allowing yourself to say, oh, you know, okay, this is okay for me to ask for. Yeah. Yeah. And right, and and then we can start the the practicing of how do I actually say say this to somebody in a way that is respectful and kind and direct, um, and and underlying that is is a belief that you know you feel like it's okay um, for you to do that, um, and it is very much a practice. Like I said, you know, for folks who just aren't used to doing it, it, it takes a while. Um, and part of that is also sort of getting past some of the fears of what's going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that mm-hmm. can be helpful too, I think, is just is asking yourself, what is it that I'm afraid is going to happen? If I start to be more assertive and I ask for what I want or what I need, what, what is the fear that's holding me back there? Mm-hmm. And then we, then we can kind of explore, you know, is that, is, that, is that likely to happen? Are those fears, what are they based on? Um, yeah. 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 Well, this is beautiful. So, um, you know, dear listener, there's so much in here. I'm sure you'll want to go back and re-listen to this episode, but for all the, the wisdom and the information about, um, overcoming perfectionism that you may have found from hearing Sharon here, there is so much more in her, her book, the, the CBT workbook for perfectionism. Um, there's like a, a ton of, you know, you can fill it out yourself. There's, it's, it's really incre- an incredible resource that I think is, is amazing. Um, Sharon, thank you so much for, you know, for doing this work, for putting this incredible workbook together, for doing the work of, of shining a light on this and, and laying out in such a very clear and systematic way how we can start to pull ourselves out of spinning our wheels with this, this perfectionism, which is just hurting so many people. And we, we don't want to be passing this on necessarily. I imagine for you, um, having kind of worked with this, the perfectionism yourself and overcoming it, it, it life is a, maybe a little sunnier on the other side, I'm guessing. Yeah. You know, and like I was saying, I mean, it's not, it's not that I don't ever fall into that perfectionism trap Ever. You know, I certainly, you know, catch myself still, you know, having, you know, a perfectionist thought or wanting to redo something to make it even better. Um, but now I'm just mo- much more aware of it. And, and there's that space to be able to say, you know what, it's good enough. <laughs> you know, and like I said, like I, I've been able to build up some tolerance um, to some of the discomfort in, in, in not being so perfectionistic. Um, and it does. I mean, even just something like being able to write a book right? You know, that, a book about perfectionism, I know it's, you know, ironic and so forth, but, but of course, um, it's probably not something that I could have done, you know, 10 years ago. Um, it really comes from that place of being able to say, okay, like I can, I can take a chance on this. You know, when you write a book, you don't know if anybody's going to buy it, you know? Um, and so you're putting yourself out there, um, and, and you have to be able to say, okay, well, I feel good about it. Um, you know, whether I get the external validation is, is not the point. That was not the point. I mean, I, I mean, I do hope that it is helpful, of course. Um, 
But even even if for some people it's not, that's okay too, right? Because that's me being able to get to that place of saying, I don't need everybody else to tell me I'm good enough. Um, I can feel good about myself regardless of what other people think um, or regardless of how much I accomplish or, you know, how many degrees I get or how many books I write. Um, that's not what I'm going to base myself worth on. Amen, sister. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So wonderful, um, Sharon. So uh, where can people find you if they want to reach out? Um, well, you can go to my website, which is livewellwithsharonmartin.com. And from there, you can find me on social media and all the other, all the other, fo- all the other places. So wonderful. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today. And I, I think it's wonderful, all the work that you've done. And um, I know it's going to help so many people. So, so thank you so very much. Sharon. Oh, you're welcome. And thanks for having me on, allowing me to spread this around for more people to hear it. Thank you so much for listening. I loved Sharon and, uh, and what she has to say. Um, you know, we got to combat this perfectionism. It leads to misery for all, like everyone in our lives. It is not good. It is not even possible to be perfect. We got we to gotta work against this. So we, this is something I work with with my coaching clients often. Um, and Sharon's work is such a, a gift. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. I am hoping that uh, that I'll get to see you in person at one of my in-person events. I will be in New Jersey in February on February twenty second. Actually, I will be selling. I will be at the Zen Parenting Radio Conference on the twenty eighth and 29th. You can buy a copy of Raising Good Humans there, and I'll be holding my spring retreat soon. So if you want details on all of these. You can make sure you're on the mailing list because I don't have the details for the spring retreat as of recording this. So um, that's the best way to know uh, about all those things. And so I'm wishing you a, I think that's it. I think that's all I got to say. Just uh, if you've enjoyed this, if you got something out of it, if you know some perfectionists who might need it, maybe you do. I kind of know a couple. Uh, if you're brave, you can forward them this episode. Maybe just share it generally on social media and, uh, and share, the, share the wisdom around. It, we can only help. <laughs> so I'm wishing you a beautiful week, my friend. I'm wishing you peace. I'm wishing you lovely, beautiful imperfection. Um, perfectly imperfect and embracing that. Um, and I will be back in your inbox next week. Thank you, thank you so much for listening. Thank you, thank you for the the uh, the reviews on Apple Podcasts and where you listen. Those always it's like amazing to read those. Thank you, thank you for the reviews on Raising Good Humans on Amazon. Thank you, that makes such a huge, huge difference. So thank you, thank you. I wish I'm wishing you a peaceful week. I'm wishing you joy. I'm wishing you uh, moments where you remember gratitude, remember to appreciate what's around you. I'll be working on that too with you. All right. Thanks so much for listening, my friend. Namaste. I'd say definitely do it. It's really helpful. It will change your relationship with your kids for the better. It will help you communicate better. And just, I'd say communicate better as a person, as a wife, as a spouse. It's been really a positive influence in our lives. So definitely do it. I'd say definitely do it. It's so worth it. The money really is inconsequential when you get so much benefit from being a better parent to your children and feeling like you're connecting more with them and not feeling like you're yelling all the time or you're like, why isn't things working? I would say definitely do it. It's so, so worth it. It'll change you. No matter what age someone's child is, it's a great opportunity for personal growth and it's a great investment in someone's family. I'm very thankful I had this You can continue in your old habits that aren't working, or you can learn some new tools and gain some perspective to shift everything in your parenting. Are you frustrated by parenting? Do you listen to the experts and try all the tips and strategies, but you're just not seeing the results that you want? Or are you lost as to where to start? Does it all seem so overwhelming with too much to learn? Are you yearning for a community of people who get it, who 
also don't want to threaten and punish to create cooperation? Hi, I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and if you answered yes to any of these questions, I want you to seriously consider the Mindful Parenting membership. You will be joining hundreds of members who have discovered the path of mindful parenting and now have confidence and clarity in their parenting. This isn't just another parenting class. This is an opportunity to really discover your unique, lasting relationship, not only with your children, but with yourself. It will translate into lasting, connected relationships, not only with your children, but your partner too. Let me change your life. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com to add your name to the waitlist, so you will be the first to be notified when I open the membership for enrollment. I look forward to seeing you on the inside mindfulparentingcourse.com. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free.